We're recording today's episode on a Saturday, one of the two sacred days of rest that employees get each week. After putting in a hard week's work, the weekend's a time where we finally get to rest, take the time to do the things we want to do, like record a podcast, or dedicate to our friends and families. Wait, everyone still gets Saturday and Sunday off, right? I'm Nicholas Bremner. I'm Jose Espinoza. And you're listening to Mind Your Work. A podcast about social science and work, and what happens when you put these things together. Today we're going to be talking about something you've all had at least some experience with, the typical workday, or the 9 to 5. We're going to be talking about where this 9 to 5 workday came from, alternatives to the 9 to 5, and then what research says about these different alternatives and how much work is actually good for us. As a young kid, my work schedule was really rough. I had to get up around 7.30, eat my breakfast that my mom had laid out for me, then head out to school. My days felt like an eternity. I was gone from 8.30 to 12, and I'd only get one nap during that time. As I got older and started doing full days of school, I realized that I actually had it pretty easy. Then all of a sudden, when I started graduate school, my work schedule went from a structured class experience to a different form of work that pervaded my entire life. I could work when I wanted to, but it was kind of harder to let go of. And now today that I've graduated, I'm a working professional, and I find myself working the typical 9 to 5 schedule, about 40 days a week. Which of these work arrangements was best for me? Uh, to be honest, I really preferred the half day of kindergarten, but that's not really an option for me at this point, is it? And I think what Nick's anecdote really suggests is that there's a ton of variation in terms of how many hours a week we actually work. It changes sometimes based on aspects of our lives, where we are in our careers, but there's really few people that work less than 40 hours a week. Very few people work 20 to 30, and even fewer work that four-hour work week that Tim Ferriss talks about in his book. Most people, and the statistics really back this up, work that 40 hours a week, five days a week. But that's not the only way we can work. So even though most people don't work less than 40 hours a week, there is some variation in that. How many hours per week would you say you work, Jose? The thing is, I'm not sure really how many hours a week I work. And that's partly because, like you mentioned, being in graduate school, it's a very different kind of schedule than most people have. Part of that is, well, I could work 10 hours a week. Uh, I could take a couple of days off if I needed to. But there's definitely been weeks where I've worked about 80. And it just really depends on when things are due for me. When do I need to get this paper out? When do I need to complete these analyses? When is my next meeting on this project? So I think I'm in a strange position to talk about how many hours a week I work because it fluctuates so wildly. And I'm sure that there are other jobs that are like that. But I don't think most jobs are like that. Kind of a related question I have for you is that, you know, like I said, people with unstructured work lives tend to think about work a lot. Do you find that you do bring work home with you a lot and you think about it frequently? And do you find that kind of exhausting? Do you count that as work hours when you're preoccupied about it? Yeah, I don't count it as work hours, but I think about it constantly. I am the kind of person who, if I'm lying in bed and I'm, I'm thinking about work, Probably if I'm thinking about something and I'm quiet, I'm probably thinking about some problem I'm trying to solve. I will get up in the middle of the night and I will go write down whatever my idea was, whatever I think the solution is before I forget it. And this will happen to me in the shower. It'll happen to me while I'm driving. It'll happen to me in the lull between conversations with 
other people in the same room. Um, it's it's like you said, it's one of those things, but because I don't have a structure, it just kind of permeates a lot of my life. So it's clear that, I mean, you and I have had schedules throughout our lives that really aren't the norm. And for the last few generations of workers, because of the, the Canadian and American federal standards, saying that a typical work week is 40 hours, nothing more, nothing less. That's typically what people work. But writers in popular press have actually started challenging this notion of the conventional 40-hour work week, saying that it's not good for us, that we could actually work less and be more productive. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So things haven't always been this way. We haven't always worked 40 hours a week. If we rewind thousands and thousands of years ago to when humans were a hunter-gatherer society, life was a lot more dangerous, but humans only had to work as much as they had to to survive. And statistics vary on this, but reports indicate that we only worked about 21 to 35 hours per week, which amounts to three to five hours per day. There's actually a theory that describes how well-off hunter-gatherers were. It's called the Original Affluent Society Theory. And as the name implies, it argues that hunter-gatherers were actually a more affluent society than modern human society because they only worked as much as they had to to fulfill their needs. So, of course, we develop agriculture and food production increases and we continue to rapidly grow our population Eventually, we get to the Industrial Revolution, where work days get longer, work weeks become longer, we're working more hours and it's more physically intense, ultimately coming to a point where there are reports that manufacturing employees were actually working about 60 hours a week on average. So if we take a step back here and look at the whole timeline of human history, it's clear that work hours increased as the purpose of our work changed. So essentially, in the hunter-gatherer days, We were working for ourselves and for our families. And so we only really had to work as much as we needed to. But these work hours grew as the purpose of work shifted to serve the needs of a growing community in the agricultural revolution, and then eventually to fulfill the needs of an organization, which is essentially insatiable because the number of hours an employee works for an organization turns into increased productivity. And so this would obviously translate into managers trying to squeeze as many hours out of the workers as possible. I just think that's a really interesting point. The notion that maybe the reason why work hours became longer and why we spent so much time at work was just because we were not fulfilling our own needs or our own small community's needs. We ended up becoming this larger community and we kind of passed and divided work around. So you do this thing for more hours and you serve everybody and I'll do this thing and I'll serve everybody in this way. And somehow we ended up having to all do more because of it. Yeah, exactly. And then when we transitioned to serving the needs of organizations, I mean, I think it was Adam Smith who wrote his like flagship book on economics and, and capitalism. I'm trying to remember what the name of that book is, but I think it was Adam Smith that basically said, capital that's not doing anything is essentially useless capital. So you should always put your capital to work. And if you have excess capital, you shouldn't be spending it on lavish luxuries, but you should be spending it on hiring more people to get more work done and increase productivity. And when you do that, the wealth of the economy and society will increase as a whole. And so I think this changed, I think this changed the philosophy from 
work as much as you need to fulfill the needs of the people around you to maximize the productivity of money. And that I think that results just in creating more work for everyone. So in 1926, this trend finally reversed when Henry Ford of Ford Motor Company decided to adopt a 40-hour work week. He took the workday down from 10 to 8 hours and took the work week down from 6 to 5 days. And he actually didn't reduce any pay either. And this was pretty revolutionary at the time because the general consensus was that doing so would reduce productivity across the organization. And Ford was really criticized for doing these cuts by the National Association of Manufacturers because, like Nick mentioned, the expectation was, well, why would people continue working to the same level of productivity if you were paying them the same and asking them to work fewer hours? But Ford had done his research. They had conducted studies within the company and found out that this might work. And they were kind of ahead of their time because 12 years later, in 1938, U.S. Congress passes the Fair Labor Standards Act and essentially cuts down the work week to 44 hours, and then later on, they amend it to 40 hours. So since then, the 40-hour work week has become the standard, and employers really haven't done much in terms of changing that. But there are a few alternatives that allow employees to work when they want and where they want. So we want to discuss some of these alternative arrangements that we mentioned, and really they come in a bunch of flavors, but the two most common ones are flex time and the compressed work week. As the name implies, flex time offers employees some degree of flexibility as to when they can show up and leave work. So rather than showing up for work at nine and leaving at five, they could show up at, let's say, 10 o'clock and leave a little bit later at six. With this work schedule, employers give employees a little bit more autonomy and flexibility, but they still have to be at work for that core eight-hour period. Now, on the other hand, the compressed work week is really much less flexible. What's really happening is that the employer has decided to compress work to make it take fewer days in the week. So that might be something like instead of working the nine to five, five days a week, you're going to work 10-hour days, four days a week. Aside from doing employees a favor, why would employers actually implement these alternative schedules? And the reason behind that is despite the convenience it affords employees, it actually may lead them to be more productive in the sense that they have greater choice into when they actually do their work and they can adjust their hours for when they might be more productive. And there's some evidence to actually back this up. So there's a study that looked at a whole bunch of companies across almost all of Europe, covering Germany, Hungary, Ireland, Italy, the UK, etc. And they conducted a survey to look at exactly what kind of work schedules were available to all these different companies. And they found that there was a group of companies that mostly relied on the nine to five workday. And it turns out that compared to all the other companies in the sample, those companies had the worst outcomes. They essentially had higher turnover, and lower productivity. In comparison, there was another group in the same industry that used flex time more often, and they reported above average productivity from their employees and better outcomes generally. So there seems to be some amount of evidence for this notion that, hey, it's not just good for employees, but actually also good for companies. So if you have to choose an alternative for the nine to five workday, 
at this point, it feels like flex time might be the way to go. It looks like when employers offer more flexibility, it allows employees to kind of roll with the punches of daily life, come in when they need to or when they want to, leave when they want to. If they have an appointment, for example, they could leave easier. But if you have individuals who are stuck in that rigid nine to five schedule and they have to apply for leave to get out for a doctor's appointment or what have you, it can really complicate things. And you know, if you receive an offer from an alternative organization that does offer flex time, it'd be pretty tempting. In addition, people work at different times of day. They prefer to work at different times of day. And some people work better in mornings than others do. I know I'm not much of a morning person and I've kind of had to adjust to my job because I start at nine now. And so it suggests that when people actually can work when they want, they'll probably perform better too because they can kind of adjust to their own circadian rhythm. But we don't just want to dismiss the compressed work week altogether because there might be something to that as well. Yeah, and the study that I want to talk about next is actually a meta-analysis that looks at flex time schedules and compressed work week schedules at the same time and does a little bit of a comparison. And I think that'll help us understand maybe what kind of alternative schedule is better. So for those of you who are wondering what a meta-analysis is, it's essentially a statistical technique where we combine the results of many different studies that have been done in the past into one larger study to try and arrive at better, more reliable conclusions. And so the idea is we can put more faith in the results of a meta-analysis because it accounts for all the small variations or little things that could have gone wrong that may have biased the results of previous studies. And in this case, we're talking about a fairly big meta-analysis. They had 39 studies and data from about 5,000 employees. And the results suggest that when you compare the compressed work week and flex time schedules to the nine to five workday, both of those alternative schedules come out ahead. Flex time and compressed work week schedules, however, really differed in terms of what kinds of outcomes that were associated with. Both of these schedules meant that you were more satisfied with your job overall, but flex time schedules were better at predicting objective markers of productivity and absenteeism, whereas compressed work week schedules meant you got better ratings from your supervisor. So while flex time schedules seem to come out ahead, they both seem to be better than the nine to five workday. And this suggests that flex time schedules are actually better for employers as well. This goes back to our discussion about how working longer hours per day isn't the most comfortable and doesn't really result in higher personal productivity. But there's a catch. There's always a catch. And it's one we want to talk about next. Up to this point, we've been talking about alternative schedules to the nine to five workday, but we've actually still been talking about situations where you're still working the full eight hour day. We haven't actually looked at any research about working less than eight hours. And that's not really that new of an idea. Like we mentioned before, there's Tim Ferriss's book, but there's also other stuff in the popular press. You can also read Stephen R. Stoll's The Five Hour Workday. So we're not really revolutionizing or bringing anything new to the table when we mention this. And actually, whether an organization offers employees the chance to work a traditional day or use something like flex time or a compressed schedule, these things can still happen while the employee works fewer hours overall. So let's go back to our good friend meta-analysis and look at a new meta-analysis, one that looked at the relationship between working hours and health. And really what they found was that the more hours you work, the worse it is for your health in terms of both your physical health and your psychological health. 
While the results of this meta-analysis aren't particularly surprising, the authors actually do bring up a fairly interesting point. They argue that these results they found could actually be an underestimation of the relationship between health and work hours because that relationship might not actually be linear. What that means is we can actually work up to a certain number of hours without having any visible detriment to our health. Arguably, it is healthy to work to at least some extent. But once you reach a certain threshold, your health could start to decline rapidly. So in looking at their data, the author suggested that that threshold that we mentioned before might be about 48 hours a week. But in their sample, very few people actually reported that they worked at least that much. So they argue, well, we really can't look at this relationship in our study. Since that study, there's actually been quite a lot of research that's found that really working 40 hours a week, so not even 48 hours, is associated with a ton of negative things like depression, heart disease, and stroke. What's interesting about the research we found is actually what it didn't tell us. So there was actually no academic research that told us anything about whether or not a reduced work week, like let's say 25 hours, is any better than a 40-hour work week. There are case studies and examples in the popular press about uh, countries and organizations who have tried reduced work weeks in terms of number of hours. So for instance, the Swedish government tried an experiment where they reduced the hours of nursing home employees substantially. And the result was that the employees were happier, but the company lost a lot more money because they had to find people to replace the individuals who weren't working their shifts. One thing that's important about that Swedish study is really what they were looking at was the effect of this reduced work week in terms of hours for nurses. And nurses are a particular kind of occupation because they are doing their job the entire time that they're working. They're taking care of patients, they're moving around, they're walking back and forth, they're interacting with people. Whereas when you consider someone, for example, working in an office, they might be there for eight hours, but really only be productive for about four, maybe five. Maybe after you come back from lunch, it's you're really out of the zone and you're going to spend the rest of the afternoon doing something else. You might be on Facebook, you might be working in other projects that are really not benefiting the company. So there might be something to this idea of reducing the workday, but perhaps it's only for some occupations and not for all of them. So we've been bashing the traditional nine to five workday a bit this episode, but that doesn't mean it's without its upsides. Right. One thing to consider is that the 9 to 5 workday provides some structure. The 9 to 5 workday allows employees to clock out. We might discuss work from home arrangements like telecommuting in a future episode, but work schedules like flex time might pose similar dangers as those arrangements. It might be easier to work longer and stay later, even after you've done your hours for the day, if there's always a steady stream of people arriving to work who simply choose to start their day later than you did. Yeah, and I think in that case, maybe the culture in your organization is going to play a larger role for those work schedules. Without the 9-to-5 structure, expectations around the office might have greater power over employees. If the culture is one about putting in extra time, and there's no longer that hard line of clocking out at 5 o'clock, you might already be stepping over that once in a while, and now it's becoming even fuzzier. Yeah, and if you add technology on top of that, there's a lot of talk about how having email on your smartphone or your other devices and bringing it home with you every day allows you to continue working even after you should be spending time with your family or you know doing something else that you want to do. We're essentially always on call. Yeah, and I have to admit that I'm part of the problem in that case. I basically respond to any email I get 
within 10 to 15 minutes, even if it's a Saturday at 9 p.m. And I've tried to work my way, myself away from kind of being attached to my screen, but it's a hard temptation to resist the fact that the email is right there. And I can just hit reply and respond really quickly and answer that person's question right away. Yeah, and that's probably the worst thing you can do, man. <laughs> you can, I can, I, and I know that it's kind of creeping into other aspects of my life um, to the point where I've sometimes I've decided, hey, you know what? I'm just going to kind of log me myself out of my email on my phone. This weekend, I'm just not even going to have the chance to look at it because I don't have my laptop nearby and it's not on my phone. It's not going to be pinging and kind of reminding me that I have to get this urge out of answering emails or checking on this problem. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a fairly impulsive person. So if I see emails that require a reply from me, I'm going to reply to it. But the tricky thing about that is if you're answering emails on a Friday night or a Saturday or Sunday or whatever, you're creating that expectation with the people who work with you that they're going to hear from you if they email you on a Saturday. They're going to hear from you if they email you Sunday night. And that's, I think, where the the tricky part comes in with the work-life balance and where exhaustion can really set in. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, the idea that maybe by responding to those emails, when we know that the workday is over, you reinforce those behaviors in other people in ways that are probably hurting them too. They're probably not going to be you know, scheduled to work at 9 p.m. on a Saturday. You kind of just created this feedback loop between the two of you to say, hey, you're working at this time. You email me. And then I respond back. And now I've said, I'm also working. We're both on the clock. And then it kind of reinforces the notion that, yes, I should have been working in the first place when I sent that email. So it's, it's, a, it's hard to explain, but I think it's interesting, particularly if we start thinking about, well, what happens if we get rid of the nine to five workday? Does all of a sudden that kind of interaction get reinforced? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And so, I mean, the fact remains, it looks like the nine to five workday, or at least a, a solid schedule during the day, Monday to Friday, does provide structure and kind of protects you from having your work bleed out into leisure time. And that's all we have for today. We hope you've learned something interesting. If so, share this episode with a couple of people who might also want to hear this. Maybe you know someone who has been working nine to five their entire lives or someone who is working on one of these alternative schedules. It might open up the doors for a conversation on their experiences. Now, this is not homework, but if you had the opportunity to cut two hours out of your workday, when would you cut those hours and why? Could you even cut them? We want you to tell us about that. Send us a tweet at mindyourwork.io or visit our website at mindyourwork.io. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. Unique New York. Unique New York. Uh, red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to keep that out. Okay. <laughs>